Now, when most people think of employment law, they think of the obligations employers owe to their employees and vice versa. You know, we're talking about good faith, trust and confidence, the list goes on. But what often escapes employers' minds are the obligations owed pre-employment between employers and prospective employees. Now, it can be easy to think it's all fun and games until that dotted line has been signed, uh, but that pre-employment uh, period is crucial. Failing to ensure a candidate is telling the truth can land employers up the uh, proverbial creek without a paddle, and uh, equally an interview littered with legally dubious questions will have any good candidate running for the hills. So in this podcast, we're going to be discussing this pre-employment period and how employers can get it right. My name's Jack Whittam, and I'm a solicitor in Lane Neve's employment team, and I'm joined today by Fiona McMillan, who's based in Auckland and is one of the partners leading this team. Hi. How are you, Fee? Yeah, I'm good. How are you going, Jack? Good. Yeah, doing well. Thanks for joining us. So, Fee, off the bat, why is this pre-employment period so crucial? Yeah, look, I think, I think Jack, there are, there are two reasons. Um, yeah. I think the first is, from, from the outset, this is an employee's first introduction to the employer, right? So y- yes. you, you want to you get it right. You want to you wanna have um, a really good impression. And I think that's more important now than, than ever. The, the labour market is, is really tight. So you want to be impressing employees from, from the outset. But I guess the, the second reason, and I guess this is where we come in, Jack, is as an employer, you you have legal obligations from from the outset. Um, And I guess, to be clear, um, those obligations are not necessarily employment-related ones because people haven't started as employees yet. Uh, But there are obligations in relation to to things like the Human Rights Act. Yes. No, certainly that that makes a lot of sense. So with that in mind, I guess let's kick things off straight at the employer's uh, first step in that journey of, of recruitment, and that's advertising. Now, Fee, I'm going to read you a little snippet I've got here uh, from the South Waikato News uh, in 2020, uh, which was posted by the owner of Tukaroa's uh, Glenview Holiday Park. And he's written here, couple required for full-time holiday park manager live-in position. Requirements, wife must have knowledge of Microsoft Office, telephone, and be good in communication and of a quiet disposition. Partner must be good at park maintenance. Now, Fee, off the bat, is this a advertisement that you would advise your client to put in the newspaper? Um, well, the starting point is I don't think I'd I'd get the job. I don't I don't really have any of those <laughs> skills, particularly the quiet disposition. Um, but look, I think I think there are some obvious um, human rights act breaches there. Mm. Um, You've got prohibited grounds of discrimination around gender, marital status, etc. Um, so I guess there are some obvious legal issues, um, but also I guess putting some legalese aside, I think I think we can use better wording than things such as um, quiet disposition. I know. Jack, um, when you and I were having a yarn about this podcast and talking about this example, we talked about perhaps instead of a quiet disposition, you could talk about someone who's who's professional or, or calm under pressure. So yes, that's one, much much better put. <laughs> it's a bit more polite, right? So yeah. I guess that, that second point's not so much of a of a legal one, but it it comes back to this idea of of making the best first impression with with your new employee from the outset. 
Yeah, certainly. Oh, well, that's good to know. It looks like uh, perhaps the owners of <laughs> took it a holiday park could have taken some legal advice or otherwise before posting the ad. Um, but obviously, Fee, there must be some exceptions. You've mentioned the Human Rights Act and, and the prohibited grounds of d discrimination. There must be some exceptions to, to those um, prohibited grounds when it comes to, to advertising. Yeah, look, totally. And I think um, one we see quite often is um, often a, pr a prime example is you might have a, have a Japanese restaurant who's wanting mm. someone um, who, who is Japanese, can um, speak Japanese and can cook food in that style. So look, yes, I think that's, yes. that, that's an obvious one. Um, often you will see ads for roles like lingerie fitters, for example. Yes. Um, the starting point is that those people are, are female. Um, so there will be occasions where you, you can discriminate, but they probably are few and far between. And and if in doubt, I think, get some advice on, on putting anything like that in an, in an ad. Yes, no, I would certainly agree. That makes sense. And now, so these non-discrimination obligations don't just apply to advertising, do they? But they also uh, apply to, to interviewing that next step. There are some stats here that uh, Stuff NZ posted that apparently for 38% of New Zealanders have been asked illegal interview questions in job interviews. Mm. Yeah, so I think some of the questions that you need to be avoiding are around people's uh, marital status, uh, their family status, whether or not they've got any children, uh, political views, religious views, etc. And look, mm. I, I accept that by default, sometimes in interview conversations, um, these things come out. Often if you say to people, hey, look, what do you get up to when you're not working? They will talk about um, time that they spend with their partner, family, friends, etc. And, and, and that's that's completely fine. But right. I guess that the legal reason why you want to avoid those questions is if you say, um, okay, Jack, do you have children? Uh, and Jack, you say, um, yes, I've got 10 of them. Um, and you're not successful in getting the role. Right. You potentially have an argument that you didn't get that role because, because you've got 10 children. Now, there's got to be some evidence around that, but that, that's right. the practical risk you run by, by asking those questions. Yeah. No, certainly that makes sense. It makes me think back to a horror story I heard from a friend Fee a, a while back where they were asked, um, and probably a really well-intentioned question, but someone said to them, and it was actually a, a pre-interview function, oh, um, this is one of the people on the on the interviewing panel, oh, I love your last name, you know, wh where's it from? And, you know, as you've said, really well-intentioned, but actually could put them in a little bit of a dubious position down the road uh, if that person weren't able to get, weren't, weren't to get the job. Oh, 100%. And Jack, I think, I think that's a prime example of what we're talking about. Yeah, certainly. So in most of these instances, as we've just discovered, um, it probably makes sense to not ask those questions. Mm -hmm. But Fee, what about in other circumstances where employers might uh, reasonably need to know something about an employee um, in terms of their capacity and they need to ask a level of, uh, you know, a question that gives them a certain degree of information? I know a hot topic at the moment is, is mental health. You know, mm -hmm. what can employers do if they're worried uh, about uh, a candidate's potential mental health issues? Because obviously that's a really hard um, ground where there needs to be a bit of sensitivity. 
Oh, a hundred percent. And I think you're right, Jack. I think I know when we're advising clients, this is probably physical health and mental health are probably the the main questions we get from our right. employer clients about what can we ask and what 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 can't we ask. Right. And, and the starting point is you can ask anything around health as long as it's related to the role. Um, okay. So I think from a physical um, health perspective, if this is a role which is going to involve a, a lot of um, heavy lifting, you, you're going to mm. want to know about um, whether or not people have had any back injuries in the past, etc. So if you can link it to the role, there are no issues with asking about health. Mental health is a little bit more complicated and, and probably you need probably a bit more extensive advice about this. But what I will say is um, if you're asking that question in order to support the person, uh, if they are successful in getting the role, um, then I think it's fine. But if you're asking that question in order to weed out people, um, that's illegal and, and you, you face some, some risk there. So... Once again, if it's related to the role, if it's in order to support them to do the role, then absolutely. But if you're using this as a, as a way to, to not pick people, um, you, you've got some legal, legal risk here. Yeah, certainly. Look, no, that makes absolute sense. So, look, we've covered this uh, advertising and uh, the interviewing uh, kind of portions of, of a recruitment process. So when it gets towards that latter stage of selection, what obligations do employers have in terms of who they actually choose for the role? Yeah, and I think this is probably a little bit of a misconception, but you don't actually have to say to someone why they have been unsuccessful in a, in a right. role. So legally, you, you don't have to. I think mm. a lot of employers do it as, as good HR practice, but legally, you you don't have to. Um, but I know, Jack, when, when we were preparing for this and talking about this, um, one thing you reminded me of, and like all good legal advice, I'm going to provide mm. a bit of a caveat or a carve-out. <laughs> That's how we make Fair money, enough. right, Jack? But, it, um, it depends, is the classic term. <laughs> yeah, it depends. But, Jack, you raised this really good point around um, people can make Privacy Act requests for information mm. during that recruitment process. Certainly. So if you're interviewing someone and you're scribbling notes and they are unsuccessful in getting the role, uh, there's mm. nothing stopping them making a privacy request uh, for those notes you made in, in the interview. Um, right. So just just be very wary about that. And I think we've all seen on social media recently where um, people in the hospitality industry have come unstuck because they've made notes on people's yeah. receipts to remind them who's who. People yes, have received definitely. the receipts as they left the restaurant, and there's been some quite discriminatory comments on those, on those yes. receipts. So it, yeah. it's it's quite similar to the interview situation. So the big takeaway is you you don't have to tell people, um, but as to why they haven't got the role, but just be wary that they can request information. Yeah, certainly. No, that that's really helpful. So I guess we've talked a lot about how. Um, you know, the, the hurdles that em employers uh, can face and, and, you know, places that employers can go wrong during this, you know, crucial pre-employment process. But there are things that employees can do wrong as well, aren't there? I guess one of the biggest ones that comes to mind is um, employees not, not telling the truth, being deceitful. 
during this uh, this recruitment process. I've got um, a lot, a lot, you know, I love my stats, V. So I've got a few more stats here. I'll let you have uh, one from, more. From, go for from it. From Kiwis, one more. All right, I'll take it. Look, um, Seek did a survey and they found that 37%, so over a third of Kiwis, uh, think it's okay to lie during job interviews, which I found really interesting. And then they actually split it into some different types of questions. So most of those who thought it was okay to lie were okay to lie with questions like, you know, why are you looking for a new job? But actually nearly 10% thought it was okay to lie about some more serious questions, uh, things like what previous experience do you have for, have for this role? Now 10% might not sound like a lot, but in kind of this very hot job market that could actually amount to a, to a lot of candidates. So what can employers do feed to, to try and weed out employees who are being deceitful, who aren't telling the truth during that uh, interview or recruitment process? And Jack, before I answer your question, I just want to double check. You didn't you didn't tell any porkies when you applied here at Lamey, did you? Oh, Fee. Luckily, luckily, I wasn't one of those respondents on that stuff survey. <laughs> but thanks for checking anyway. <laughs> well, look, you're so good. Would keep you anyway. But um, oh, you're too kind. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> but I guess to Jack to answer your your question, I think the key is around. Um, the, the checks that an employer does. So right. um, those checks can be done um, between the interviewer and making the offer or alternatively an offer can be made conditional on certain checks coming back okay. Um, right. So look, I, I guess, Jack, we could fill up this podcast just talking about all the different types of checks and how to do them. Yeah, but I certainly. guess that it... I guess at a, at a real high level, um, the things you've got to keep in mind is making an offer conditional on, on reference checks. Yep. Um, and the big thing with reference checks is um, often you won't get to talk to the current employer, but you want to speak to the most recent employer before that and make sure that you're speaking to the right person. Um, yeah, certainly. You want to be speaking to the person they were reporting to, not, not, their, not their chum in the workplace. Yeah, um, yeah that makes sense. I honestly cannot recommend criminal checks enough. Um, okay. I have n uh, I've been surprised in my career the amount of um, cases I've been involved with where mm. a client has made an offer conditional on a criminal check coming back, that criminal check coming back six weeks later, mm. um, and the employer calling me and going, um, oh my goodness, Fiona, um, this person's got... Um, a really long, serious um, right. criminal um, um, checklist here. So, Not please, the easiest position to be in. <laughs> no, no, and you can understand why they didn't front foot that in the interview, right? They'd never get yeah. the job. So do right. your criminal checks. Um, yep. A question I got the other day, um, mm -hmm. which I'd actually never thought about, is a client wanted to know whether or not there's kind of a a general um, employment checklist or a, a employment right. database somewhere where you could find out where people have worked and whether or not they've raised personal grievances or anything like that. That, that doesn't exist. Interesting. No, 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 no. You can obviously check um, uh, employment law databases to see if there are any cases or anything like that, but that's, yeah. not, a, that's not an exhaustive list as to whether or not people no. have raised personal grievances. Mm. Um, so don't be afraid to check those databases. Um, depending yeah. on the role, you might need to do medical checks, you might need to do credit checks, you might need to do drug and alcohol um, testing. Right. Um, but, but just do 
the, the checks that you think you need to, to do to be satisfied that this person can do, do the role. But at a really high level, make sure you're doing really good reference checks, not just accepting bits of paper, actually talking to people yeah. um, and doing those criminal checks as well. Certainly, that makes a lot of sense. So obviously from that, what we've learnt is a lot better to be uh, you know, the fence at the top of the cliff uh, rather than the ambulance at the bottom of it. But 100%. unfortunately, and as you've mentioned, it does get to that stage where employers do find themselves uh, perhaps not have been, haven't been as thorough as they should have been. So what can employers do um, if they do find out later down the line uh, when they have engaged that employee uh, that the employee was dishonest or deceitful during that recruitment process? Yeah, and look, it's going to depend a lot about um, how the letter of offer was drafted, what's in the employment right. agreement, the conversations that took place between the parties. But what I will say is if you have evidence that someone lied in a pre-employment process, um, you may be able to terminate their employment for serious misconduct. Um, right. So it is really fact-dependent. It's going to depend on what it is, what's in the paperwork, but it is absolutely an option open to you. Um, and, Jack, before I let you ask your, your next question, what I will say yeah. as well is I think there's, mis there's this misconception amongst employers that if someone's only been with you for a few weeks, you don't have to run a full process. You can just quickly right. terminate their employment. That's not the case at all. You are going to have no. to go through a process with them. Yep. Um, what that process looks like will depend a little bit, as I said, on, on that paperwork and, and what they've done, but you, but you, you can't just fire them. You do, you do have to go through a process. Yeah, certainly. And if you do fire them off the bat, you'll be probably finding yourself going through a lot longer process, but maybe more of a more of a litigation or, <laughs> you know, a little Correct. bit more adversarial process, I guess. But the upside is they may have to call um, you and I, Jack, so it's not all bad, right? Yes, true. And that is why we're sitting here today, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Great. No, that's really helpful. So I guess my last question would be, we've gone through this recruitment process, you know, we've advertised, we've interviewed, We've uh, done all the right checks and we found the person we want. Are there any last steps, employment, um, important things that we need to do before um, you know this candidate signs the dotted line? Yeah, and I, you raise a really good point, Jack, because I think often employers have been through such a, a process um, um, getting someone on board that they just want them to hurry up and start. And this is where right. it can go yep. a little bit wrong. So right. I think... The, the two key takeaways here are people have got to be provided with an employment agreement before they start. Yeah. Um, having someone with you for a few days and, and then providing them with an employment agreement can provide some issues with you, particularly if you're trying to enforce a trial period or something like yeah, that. Um, but the second thing is you can't just throw an employment agreement at them um, the day before they're due to start and get them to sign it and bring it with them on the day. They've got to have ample opportunity to get independent advice if they wish to do Certainly. so. Um, so uh, I, I know it's tough in this market and people want people on board ASAP, but I do strongly suggest trying to get employment agreements to people at least a week before you want them to start with you. Cool. Look, that's really helpful. Well, thank you for your time, Fee. It's pretty clear from this chat. Uh, and hopefully to you watching that uh, the obligations, you know, imposed on, on employers and employees, um, you know, predate uh, the beginning of the, uh, you know, the formal beginning of the employment relationship. And there's actually a lot to be careful um, 
and look out for before that. And hopefully this is also clear to see that, um, you know, robust pre-employment practices aren't just good for avoiding legal risk, as you've said, Fee, but it's also, you know, it's good for business. Look, Lanev's employment team, um, we advise a lot of clients about this crucial uh, pre-employment process and period. And um, look, we'd be really happy to do the same for you. Uh, you can find uh, Fiona and my contact details uh, listed below. Thanks so much for tuning in. And again, thanks so much for your time, Fee. Pleasure. Thanks so much, Jack.